Our natural world inspires and shapes us, so it's critical that we work to protect it. I'm Alex Honnold, professional rock climber and founder of the Honnold Foundation, and this is Planet Visionaries. As a climber, I've been fortunate enough to see both the beauty and fragility of our planet. That's why I'm proud to be joining Rolex and the Washington Post Creative Group to bring you stories of inspiring people who are helping to solve some of the most important conservation issues that we face today. For nearly a century, Rolex has backed explorers and innovators who strive to understand and protect our natural world. In this series, we'll dive into the stories of those people who are at the forefront of the quest to keep the planet perpetual. In this episode, I get to speak with Dr. Pablo Garcia Borboroglu, a Rolex Awards for Enterprise Associate Laureate who has dedicated his life's work to protecting the 18 species of penguins on the planet. Pablo got his start working in his own backyard of Patagonia, and his organization, the Global Penguin Society, is now a hub for scientific research and education. Hi, Pablo. Such an honor to speak with you. Hello, Alex. Thank you so much. It's a great pleasure to be talking to you today. Uh, I am Pablo Borboroglu. I am a marine biologist and a penguin conservationist, and I'm talking to you from uh, Patagonia, the southern part of Argentina. And uh, since I work with penguins, I live here because my, the penguins are my neighbors, basically. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, I suppose you have to live where the penguins live. So how did you get introduced to penguins? Like when did, when, when did you meet your first penguin? So I, I always like to tell that the first time I heard about something that was called a penguin, it was thanks to my grandmother, uh, because when I was a small boy, two or three years old, she used to tell me fantastic and amazing stories uh, of her visits to, to see the penguins here in Patagonia a uh, hundred years ago. So she kind of connected me with nature. And then when I was uh, an adolescent, I visited a penguin colony for the first time. And I still remember that special moment, like an epiphany moment when I was surrounded by almost half a million penguins and I felt a special connection. And I realized that I, I had to dedicate my life to penguin conservation. What's it like to visit a colony with half a million penguins? I mean, that is pretty remarkable. Well, it's really uh, overwhelming. I mean, because uh, big, very big penguin colonies, they can have half a million and some, some species more. But it is interesting to realize that they occupy like 400 hectares, like it's like a city, basically. It's a capital city of penguins. And you walk and walk and you see penguin nests under the bushes or under the, uh, they dig burrows under the ground. So it's really amazing. And in some cases there are like hills. So you see all the holes on the ground with the penguin pears and chicks outside of their entrances. It's the, the, the image is amazing and also the sound they make. I love the sound. They vocalize, you know, and at dusk and at dawn in the morning. It is one of the most amazing wildlife spectacles I've ever, I ever experienced. No, that's why I wanted to ask you some of the things about, uh, you know, just what it's like being in such a sort of niche, like sort of a fringe activity. Because I find it so interesting when someone's taken a passion that far down a specific road. You know, it's like you, you just don't meet many people who are penguin researchers, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know, I, I find it very difficult to, to live in a developing countries and do this. That is global. That is unusual. 
because we deal every day with difficulties, you know. But I think we are trained to deal with uncertainty. And, and that is a kind of uh, something that is helping us to cope with. Everything is down, like I said, downhill. <laughs> mm. So what drew you to working with penguins specifically? Like, why did you realize that you needed to work with penguins? So uh, when I came uh, to the place where I live uh, right now in the 80s, in this area, 40,000 penguins died per year due to oil spills. So it was very normal and people got used to that, to go to the beach and find penguins that were dead, oiled, or just dying. And, and even politicians didn't want to recognize that that was a problem. Uh, so I started uh, rehabilitating penguins, like picking them up from the beach and taking them to a kind of facility that I built to, to rehabilitate them and, and release them back in the wild. And a couple of years later, that was 91, I, it's 30 years ago, there was a very big oil spill and uh, 17,000 penguins died in two months due to one single oil spill here. And uh, so we set up a rehabilitation centers uh, and that was very important, not only because we, we help penguins, but also because we attracted the attention of the media. And that helped to increase the visibility of the problem and help also to gain support from the public. And a few years later, that helped to change, to move the oil tanker lanes further offshore. And, and today, the, uh, there was a very big decrease in the number of oiled animals. So that, was, that is a very successful story. But uh, the, one of the conservation problems we are having right now with the penguins is that they accumulate threats, not only in the ocean, but also on land. And in the ocean, the main threats are climate change, also uh, mismanagement of fisheries and pollution. And on land, the problems are human disturbance and also the, the introduction of unfamiliar predators. Yeah, so really, are you saying that penguins are basically twice as threatened as other species of birds just because they're reliant on on the sea and the land? Yeah, exactly. Because if you compare penguins with, with, with other marine wildlife and even seabirds, uh, they have specific characteristics that makes them more vulnerable and um, fragile to the, to the alterations in their habitats. First of all, they don't fly. So the penguins, they cannot cover long distances quickly as other seabirds because penguins don't fly. So they have to dive. It takes longer for them. And by the time they come back, maybe they, many times the chicks are, are dead. The other issue with, with the penguins is that they only lay one or two eggs per season, per breeding season. So if they lose that egg for some reason, they lose the entire year. So for, for those reasons, penguins have these several disadvantages compared to other wildlife. If we protect penguins, the penguins are an important, uh, a very important indicators of the health of the ocean. So we protect penguins, we, we benefit the oceans and we benefit all the, uh, all, all the planet. Pablo's early love for the natural world inspired him to pursue a career in biology, and his dedication to conservation inspired him to go even further to protect penguins and the places they live. So Pablo, what is the Global Penguin Society? 
the, the Global Penguin Society is an international organization that, that promotes the protection of all the penguin species on the planet through science, protection of habitat, and also education. We created it uh, 12 years ago now. The idea was that I was trained as a, as a biologist, as a scientific. So, you know, in, I work for the National Research Council here in Argentina, but The goal there is they ask you to publish papers in English, in international journals, and that information does not see the light here in, in, this, in, in our developing countries. We don't even speak English. So that information is never available, you know? So I, I realized and I had that idea to create a, an organization that could use the science to promote conservation, to engage excellent researchers, To, you know, to, to advocate for, for conservation and also to create different kind of political arms because sometimes we deal with like international waters or fisheries in Antarctica. So we need like an international organization that could deal with those problems. Mm -hmm. Can you share an example of a local community group that the Global Penguin Society works with? Yes. So most penguins occur in developing countries, you know, and so um, the colonies are spread uh, on islands and sometimes along the continent. But the, the main problem that we see is that most of the communities that live close to penguins, they don't know them. They don't value them enough. So we take the communities and the children to visit the penguin colonies so they can understand their needs and they can value them. Because in many cases, The, those children, they stay in those towns and they become the decision makers and they decide about the fate of those penguins. So, for example, in some cases, uh, one of the problems we have everywhere is plastics. So we organize campaigns with the children and the communities close to penguin colonies, close cleaning the house of the penguins. So we go and we remove all the plastics from the coast and from the nests uh, before penguins come back from their migration. So by the time they come, they find a neat and tidy place without plastics. And the children, they realize, they see the problem. You know, they see the problem. We don't have to even tell them what is the problem. They see the plastics and then they feel they are the solution for that. And they will be, you know, forever <laughs> in love with penguins and they will, they will have the, the need to protect and do something for the environment. And of course, we complement those activities with kind of uh, education festivals in those ranches along the coast with games and we make barbecues and different kinds of education activities. So we engage those communities into conservation because conservation is, is very important for the ecotourism industry. And they see that if they protect wildlife, they they're protect their future uh, livelihoods as well. What's it like to take children to see penguins for the first time? I mean... I mean, it's got to be, got to be pretty cool. <laughs> it's amazing. You know, you know, Alex, that's my favorite activity of the year because <laughs> the moment they get off the buses and they walk and they, they are, you know, a couple of meters away from penguins, it's amazing. And what I feel is like, you know, it reminds me when my grandmother told me the story about the penguins and now through these activities we are telling the stories to millions of kids you know uh, and we are through penguins we are connecting the new generations to nature becoming a penguin conservationist is a very unusual path you know and 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 you've gone very far down this sort of uh unique road And, you know, I, I too have gone very far down a very unusual road, you know, having made a career out of, out of rock climbing full time. 
And I was curious a little bit about what you think, uh, you know, it takes to, to follow that unusual path. You know what I mean? Because anytime you stray from from the norm like that, it requires a, a certain kind of passion or a certain sort of kind of inspiration. You know, I mean, talk a little bit about where your inspiration came from and how you wound up on such an unusual path. Yeah, it's a it's a great question. You know, uh, at the beginning, I didn't realize that. You know, maybe it happened to you as well. You do something for a couple of years, or because you you like it, and then suddenly you realize that you've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> you know. Uh, and now I can say that, you know, working on penguins is the mission of my life. I, I feel it that way because I'm over 50 now. But looking back in time, I see that I was always somehow, even sometimes I didn't realize, but I was following that path, you know. I think that the if I have to characterize or describe that path, I would say that the main condiment was persistence and trying and trying again and never give up and not paying attention to how big the challenges or the obstacles are. You just want to get there. And so what's a conservation goal that you're proud of that the Global Penguin Society has achieved? So the first one that comes to mind is the creation of the UNESCO uh, Biosphere Reserve that we named Patagonia Azul or Blue Patagonia. It is the largest uh, biosphere reserve in Argentina. It has the size of Maryland or Belgium, for example. <laughs> and it includes, yeah, it's a huge, and it includes 20, 20 penguin colonies, almost 40% of the entire population of one penguin species. And it benefits about 800 marine species and terrestrial species, oh. and also a lot of communities that depend on that place. So we are very proud because we could find um, a system to, to identify a problem, to provide a solution, to get the international funding, go to the government of Argentina, say, this is the problem, we want to help you provide the solution, we want to fund the process, and we want to partner with you. And then everybody wins and it is created right now. People are very proud of that area and it's a win-win. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. No, that's, that's incredible. How did uh, the Rolex Award for Enterprise help you spread the word and further your impact? Well, it, it was amazing. I would say that the one of the most important um, results of an award is that they legitimize the work that you do because it is highly competitive, the Rolex Award. So it is helping us to increase the visibility of the problems that penguins are facing and the oceans are, are facing. The project uh, that Rolex uh, supported includes uh, some work in terms of uh, research, tracking species in New Zealand, in South America, uh, and also in, in South Africa. So we can know where the penguins are eating and if they overlap with fisheries or, or deep sea mining of other harmful activities so we can create uh, protected areas. The, the Rolex Award also funded uh, some projects to create marine protected areas uh, and, and protect the places that where penguins are eating and also breeding, uh, specifically those cases were here in Argentina. And also they are also supporting part of our um, educational program to work with local kids, but also with, with the local audiences uh, of kids. And now a brief pause. If you want to meet all the other environmental leaders that Rolex supports, 
and learn how they're creating lasting solutions to protect our planet, check out Rolex.org. And for more on how you can affect change in your own community, follow the hashtag PerpetualPlanet. It may sound easy to watch penguins as your day job, but Pablo and his team endure incredibly tough conditions to research and protect these animals. I've done something like five or six trips to Patagonia to climb climb mountains. You know, in the climbing community, Patagonia is legendary for its bad weather, <laughs> like basically for how yeah. intense the wind is. I mean, it's it really is the windiest place on earth. I mean, it's just it's just insane. And you know, so when I was reading about your research with penguins and the the field work that you have to do with penguin colonies, I was just imagining being outdoors year round in Patagonia, and I was like oh man, that sounds so hard, like so physically unpleasant, like uncomfortable. Yes. Uh, you know, could you talk about that a little bit? I mean, is, is that true and, and how does that feel? Yeah, exactly. You're so right. You know, in Patagonia, in the, we are in latitude 40 and 50. You know, it is called the roaring 40s and the, the screaming 50s because of the wind. <laughs> it's, it's always screaming, you know. Yeah, and you are absolutely right. It is very challenging the, the, to work with, with penguins. You can imagine most of the colonies are on islands, so we need to navigate a lot. And it is very risky because sometimes out of the blue, you get a very big windstorm or something. Uh, it gets very, very uh, dangerous. Uh, and I remember, for example, working in New Zealand. In New Zealand, when we work with the Fjordland crested penguin, the females are the ones that uh, bring the food back to the chicks. Uh, and they do that at night. So it is very cold. We have to hide uh, behind the, the rocks uh, so the penguins land. But it, most of the time it is raining. So you have to stay still in the cold waiting for the penguin to come. <laughs> so it's not a walk in the park, basically, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> and, that, and I really want to highlight that a little bit because I think that when people listen to a conversation like this, it sounds glamorous to be you know, a world-renowned <laughs> penguin researcher. But the actual day-to-day of doing the work, doing the field work, actually sounds incredibly uncomfortable unless you really care passionately about penguins. You know, like you really have to love the work to be able to put up with those kinds of conditions. So when you started as a penguin researcher, were there other people looking at penguins as a vital part of marine conservation? Yeah, yeah. There, there are excellent, and there were for, for a long time, excellent uh, penguin researchers working in Antarctica or some other areas. But the penguin community is not that big. When we meet in the Penguin <laughs> International <laughs> Penguin Congress, yeah, I mean, I, you would expect maybe a huge congress. And I would say it's like 300 people at the most, you know, it's, lo- it's not that Everybody's doing research on penguins. I mean, after after hearing you describe how difficult it is to do research on penguins, I'm somehow not <laughs> surprised that there aren't that many people doing it. <laughs> Can you tell us about other Rolex awards for enterprise laureates that you've worked with or that you admire? Yes. Yeah. Oh, there are so many. With some of them, I'm in very uh, close contact, like Miranda Wang. Uh, she works with plastics to try to elaborate and find new ways to recycle plastics. So from her side and from our side, we have a common topic, you know, plastics in our oceans and plastic pollution. With Krithi Karanth, she works on wildlife conflicts with humans in India. So we also have a lot of things to do. And uh, we even share webinars and talks where both of us talk about our topics. Then Emma Kamp, 
She's from Australia and she's a marine biologist. So we are, we belong to the same team, but it's a fantastic community, very inspiring, very enriching, very, very supportive. And it, it's also great to interact with the, the group that is in Switzerland, the Rolex team, and, uh, and also the Rolex uh, group here in Buenos Aires, in Argentina, because they organized all the events for the ceremony, the award ceremony, where I received my, my award here in, in Patagonia. And I was glad because a lot of people came to visit and see and enjoy and learn about the penguins. Key to Pablo's mission and the mission of the Global Penguin Society is making it easy for people to fall in love with penguins and their natural habitats. Yeah, so one of the goals of the Global Penguin Society is to foster a conservation culture. So what, what does that mean? We want people to develop a culture in which the environment is a priority. It's not something that you do when you have time or when you want to. It's part of your culture. Some people really respect their beliefs, their religion, their, you know, political values. We want people to have conservation values and live according to those values. So this is one of our goals, to insert those conservation values into their cultures. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good goal because that, that obviously helps a lot more than just penguin conservation. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that's good for the environment more broadly. Yeah, exactly. And and it is also good for the penguins because <laughs> they depend on the on the health of the of the global environment. It is very important Alex when uh, since we work with different countries, uh, each country has uh, a different idiosyncrasy. So we need to to kind of be aware of the differences in 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 their styles and idiosyncrasies to develop a concrete and a, an effective message because of the change in the values. You know, like for example, in New Zealand, uh, penguin species are uh, considered taonga species, like. They are like similar to sacred species. They are mm. of particular cultural values. So that is very powerful. So when we work with those penguins, we need to ask special permissions to the Maori communities to work with them. And uh, so that is something that it can be very useful for, for conservation. At the Global Penguin Society, how do you guys kind of balance that short-term conservation with the long-term conservation? Some of the kids we started uh, taking to the colonies, they are 25 years old now. So, so like they are already grown ups. You know, like it's like we we are seeing them that they are, now they are part of the governments. They are working, you know, in different roles and they are having a direct impact. And now we put the penguins into their DNAs. <laughs> so, like uh, because when you start taking children, you think they are going to be children forever. But we started long time ago, so now they're grown ups. But the, the, to answer your question, one of our main efforts is to protect the habitats of penguins. So far, we have been able to protect 32 million acres of a habitat in the ocean and also on land. That is one of the most challenging tasks because it's not a normal you know, assignment. You do not only do science, you, we need to deal with politicians, with congressmen, uh, we need to work with the media, with, with the communities to convince, you know, about the need to, to create those protected areas uh, by the Congress. And, but once that those areas are created, it is amazing because we realized that 
It's a short-term and a long-term effect, and it will stay even after we die. So that is one of the things that are, are, we are most proud of because we know that in those areas, penguins are going to enjoy a safe and unhealthy environment, uh, not only where they breathe, but also uh, where they eat in the ocean. No, that's so true. So, so <laughs> what piece of advice would you give to the average person about how they can help keep our planet perpetual? There are two options. You can be part of the problem or you can be part of the solution. So how to be the solution? If you are an individual, one of the things that most we all do every single day, many times, is we buy stuff. We buy things that we need. Um, so maybe we can do some research. Maybe we can go on internet and try to, to find out where is that coming from? How do they make this? How do they cultivate this? How do they grow this other thing that I'm buying? So if you do some intelligence and try to buy only the things that are sustainable, you are making a big contribution because when you buy something, you are voting. You are voting for sustainability or not, or unsustainability. And this is something that we do every single day and can have a very big impact. Yeah, and you don't need to go to, to the Amazonia or to Africa, even in your backyard. Pay attention to the bird that comes to your garden. Pay attention to the, to the tree that is in front of your house. Even the spider that you don't like that much. Mm. It is amazing how they survive, the strategies that they use to capture their food, uh, all the things that they do to, you know, to thrive and to continue their, their species. And human beings, we can realize of that and we can really have a very big impact for the survival of all the species we, we share the planet with. That was the founder of the Global Penguin Society, Dr. Pablo Garcia Borboroglu. I'm Alex Honnold. Thanks for listening to Planet Visionaries. To learn more about how you can take action to help penguins around the world, visit globalpenguinsociety.org. Be sure to catch the next episode when I'm joined by scientist Andrew McGonigal, who's figured out how to watch volcanoes breathe. You can learn about the next generation of the Rolex Awards for Enterprise Laureates at rolex.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>